The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Oh. 
Good morning, everybody. I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, blessed to be leading worship with Richard Davis Lowell, our worship associate, and Michelle Kennedy, who is here with us, always, always, always a blessing, and who is here with us away from her gorgeous two-year-old daughter. So. On this particular Sunday, we give thanks for her mothering and her husband's fathering of that life. Thanks to Mark Sumner, who is here with us, also leading us in music, to Reiko Oda Lane, who is in the organ loft, who you'll hear from, to Jonathan Silk and Eric Shackelford, who are busy bringing us through live stream to the people who aren't in the space but are part of our community. And there is, as always, someone on the chat. So those of you who are joining on live stream, if you have any questions, you can just reach out and ask whatever those questions are. I hope you all have an order of worship um, uh, in front of you so you can follow in worship today. And happy Father's Day to all people who are fathers in all the ways that we parent this world, and to all of us, because um, I want to hold up some gratitude for the fact that each of us, three-dimensional being, who is part of this community, is the creation of someone who helped bring you flesh and blood into this world, and for them, I am deeply grateful, because I'm deeply grateful for the presence of all of you in my life and in each other's lives. So we celebrate all of that here this morning. If you are someone who's concerned about COVID, um, I, please, some of you I know are, and please feel free to continue wearing masks to keep yourselves comfortable and safe. And there is, just for now and in the future, a section to the side that is marked for mask only. So if ever the um, you know, intensity in the room feels a little much, that, that is a corner where you will be um, at least surrounded only by people who are masked. So. so welcome, beloveds. Let's light our chalice. If you have one, if you're at home, a candle or a chalice, feel free to join us lighting your own at home. And say with me, if you would, the words in the order of service, we light this chalice for the light of truth and the warmth of love and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Let's sing in your gray hymnal, hymn number 128, For All That Is Our Life. It uh, is one of my favorites, which is why we probably sing it enough that maybe some of you could sing it without the hymn book. Let's rise as you're able in body and spirit and sing together. Sing our thanks and praise for all life is a 
Richard Davis Lowell, a worship associate here. And if this is your first time joining us in person or watching on live stream, thank you for joining us. You can receive our weekly newsletter, The Flame, and the link to our order of service and Sunday live stream if you fill out one of our connection forms. The connection forms are found on the welcome tables outside the sanctuary or are available through a link in the order of service or video description of today's service. The order of service lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect. So does our weekly newsletter, which you will receive if you fill out the connection form. All of our events are open to anyone who is interested, so please join us. This Sunday, after service in our Thomas Starr King and Martin Luther King Jr. rooms, which are straight down the hallway from where you exit the sanctuary, there is an art show and reception. We are presenting works by Henry David Sultan and Jenny Badger Sultan, and there is more about their story in our order of service. Please join and come experience their art it will be on display beyond this week, but today is the opening. Second, we wanted to mention that this coming week from Wednesday through Sunday morning is our denomination's general assembly. If you are interested, you can participate in many of the programs online. Information is available at our denominational website, uua.org. Finally, our offering this morning this week, in honor of Juneteenth, our offering will support the Equal Justice Initiative. Founder Brian Stevenson was depicted in the legal drama Just Mercy, which is based on his memoir, Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption. Based out of Montgomery, Alabama, the Equal Justice Initiative guarantees legal representation to every inmate on the state's death row. Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative have also studied and brought into focus the history of lynchings and the legacy of terror in American life 
and the ties between historic enslavement and modern inequities in our criminal justice and legal system. Their world-renowned Legacy Museum and National Memorial for Peace and Justice are vital institutions in the framing of our national history around civil rights. Thank you for your generosity in recent weeks. Last week, our offering for the San Francisco Jazz Center's Our Schools program raised $900. San Francisco Jazz Center's Our Schools program serves all San Francisco and Oakland public and charter middle schools. The offering on June 4th benefited the SCW Scholarship Fund, raising over $1,260 for scholarships awarded to San Francisco high school students who will be the first in their, gen in their families to attend college. Thank you. I believe that's all we wanted to call to your attention. Now let's take a moment to greet one another and you'll hear a musical cue when it's time to gather again. Now please join me in our covenant found printed in your bulletin followed by our sung doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and freedom, and to help one another.
Life is this wild paradox. It is, among other things, full of brokenness and hurt and also stunningly alive with beauty and grace. And as people of faith, we don't deny either, but rather we live in between and among both, inviting one another to step into this world as witnesses and participants in the whole of it. And so this morning we make some space for both as they are present in our world. This morning we ring our gong once in gratitude for all who parent, who nurture, who tend to life, for the fathers who are with us here today and in memory of all those who are not with us and the fullness and the legacy of all of them. This Sunday, located in time on the cusp of Juneteenth, we also name and hold up all those whose parenting was made tragic and heartbreaking by the legacies of slavery by the trauma and terrorism that only partially ended for black families in America on June 19, 1865. And for all families who likewise have been hurt by analogous stories of the evils wrought by racism and greed, from native children removed to boarding schools, to Japanese internment camps, to children separated from their parents at the border, even now. So we ring a, our gong a second time for these families and in that ringing for the legacies also in them of stubbornness, love, survival and resilience, triumph against all the odds, and all who found a way forward to find each other again, to live and to love forward through such evil. Finally, this Pride Month We hold up people of all gender identities and expressions and sexual orientations and all the families we make, we choose, born to us, gathered into us, nurtured among us. For all these families, for yours, for mine, for a world safe for families and a nurturing place to welcome us all home as kin. 
For this, we ring our gong the third time this morning. So there's so much more in this world, but this morning we name all of this, but hold the candles that already and later will be silently lit and the quiet prayers of our hearts that we each bring and the hope and expectation that we each serve life with love and ease the tide of human suffering in the coming week, however we can. My father said he'd never met anyone like her. It was a love explosion, he said. Jim, she said, you get to choose, she told him. June 19th or the 4th of July. That's how we do it in Texas. The white man lets us choose which day we want off, July 4th or Juneteenth. Don't you know Juneteenth up there in, where you come from? Hackensack, New Jersey? You never heard of it? Texas is a funny place. You don't mess with it. And it's one of its strong black daughters, my mom. She hit my father like a ton of bricks, or so he said. He in flight school, she just out of her sophomore year in college in Sherman, Texas. I won't be traveling this way again, he said to her. All right, she said. And two months later, they were married. Lord, guard and guide the men who fly through the great spaces in the sky. Be with them, travelers in the air through darkening storms or sunshine fair. That hymn has stuck with me since I learned it, and I think of you, Dad, whenever I remember it. Years later, the flight suit's long put away. He's driving me up the 405, that 10-lane-wide concrete creature that winds its way through Southern California. After a weekend visit home, dropping me off at UCLA before he doubles back to that beehive of aerospace buildings that hug the airport with their strange names, Raytheon, TRW. Huge gray buildings with no windows where he worked. You know, Richard, you have to keep moving no matter what. I know, Dad, you told me. And I love your mother, he says. Yes, and I love your mother, 
he says again. Strange conversations. I remember thinking, I have my own problems. Not yet out, dealing with coming out. My high school crush who would become my first partner and break my heart into a thousand tiny pieces. And yet there he was, my dad, next to me. Weak people will be drawn to you, Richard, he said. Never let them tell you what you can and cannot do, he said. You're not making any sense, I thought, but I love you. If I'd only known what was coming, I would have thanked him for those words a thousand times over, and I am thanking him for those words and his ways right now. Here I am at my own harmonic convergence of Father's Day, Juneteenth, Flag Day, my 65th birthday, and celebrating Gay Pride Month all at the same time. You taught me how to hold these things, the unity and freedom of Flag Day and my birthday, to be proud of the country we helped build, the historic triumph of Juneteenth, June 19th, to remember that our people survived and thrived, the personal inspiration of Father's Day, those odd but cherished conversations on the 405 that only later in life would fully reveal themselves, and in the affirmation of my full identity, I found during Pride Month. Son, you said, never let them tell you what you can and cannot do. You helped me find my way by showing me a way. You took a road less traveled, and so did I, and we are so much the better for it. Together, I in body and now you in spirit, we stand. I at the intersection of all of these narratives, shaped by the strength, resilience, and love of freedom that each of these dates represents. It's a beautiful intertwining. And it started with a love explosion in Sherman, Texas, between a woman and a man that by his own words didn't know what hit him. Happy Father's Day. In your face I sometimes see shadowings of the man to be.
Our reading this morning is from the collection of pieces called Little Did I Know, that actually Richard has a piece in too, that I edited that came out this fall. And this piece is by Manish Mishra Marzetti, who is our minister at Big Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it's one of my favorites. As a child, I wanted to grow up and be the old woman who lived in a shoe because, of course, having a gazillion kids in one's life with a giant shoe as a romper room sounded positively superb. But more deeply, this children's rhyme also captured the longing for parenthood that has always resided in my heart. There was just one obstacle to making this vision or some version of it a reality. The fact that I am gay and therefore the culturally typical route to parenthood via biological procreation was unlikely. Decades later, in 2010, my husband and I held this longing together as we entered the open adoption process. As we did so, our participation in mandatory adoption orientations brought to light for us the profound and very personal heartache that some heterosexual couples and individuals experienced too prior to arriving at adoption. Our journey was different. Biological procreation was prima facie, and we did not, was out prima facie, and we did not have the financial resources to consider surrogacy. We were truly thrilled at the prospect of open adoption. This was our first choice route to parenthood. As part of the matching process, couples and individuals approved for adoption prepare a brief electronic profile which includes a summary of the prospective family's adoption criteria and personal background, as well as a longer, more detailed portfolio, which is basically the prospective family putting its best foot forward in sharing with a birth mom who they are and the environment they would offer a child. Birth mothers review these materials and then choose a family with whom to place their baby. Our portfolio included a video message to birth moms, an electronic collage of photos of my husband and me, and short descriptions of the life we had built together. We talked about my husband's paid work in retail sales of high-end cosmetics, as well as a deeper call as an artist. We described my diplomatic and ministerial careers and my commitment to community, local and global. We shared our intention to raise our child within the open liberal values of Unitarian Universalism, having uncles and aunties and grandparents and peers within the extended family of a congregation. Our portfolio was a view into us. It was our prayer, our longing, 
given shape and voice. After completing these and all other requirements, a prospective family then waits, and typically waits some more. Occasionally an adoption comes through in a matter of days or weeks, but it's not unusual for some adoptive families to wait for even a couple of years. It's a time of anticipation and prayerful waiting. Such was the season my husband and I now entered, one of mostly silent anticipation with all the routines of daily life continuing, as if we weren't on the verge of something momentous. This quiet waiting was, however, occasionally interrupted by the agency reaching out to us when a set of circumstances closely but not fully matched our criteria would you like this birth mother to consider you, along other potential families, alongside other potential families, was the question they would ask. At first, these calls were exciting. They were our only tangible sign, indication that anything that we were under active consideration, and yet after hearing nothing further, in the ensuing days, we would piece together the conclusion that the birth mother had selected another prospective family. And this realization was always an immense letdown, and yet unavoidable in the process. As the months wore on, we received so many of these calls, typically one or two a month, that we knew that plenty of birth mothers were actively considering us, just none of them were choosing us to place their child with. Alongside the discouragement, other haunting possibilities began to preoccupy us. Perhaps birth moms who carried a baby to term were conservative in their mindset. Maybe inviting such birth moms to consider a gay couple was already a stretch, and then adding our additional uniqueness freakishness, non-typicalness into the mix, well, maybe the fact that we were an interracial couple was a problem. Maybe it's the fact that we included Unitarian Universalism in our profile, a tradition that most people know nothing about. What if the birth moms thought Unitarian Universalism is a cult and then just moved on to the next prospective family? With deep pain in my heart, I approached my husband and I asked him to consider whether we needed to revise our portfolio and somehow try to come across as a more run-of-the-mill, typical family. Maybe we needed, or what we needed to do was to rewrite all our materials and emphasize the ways in which we would be like some gay, interracial version of the Brady Bunch and downplay or not mention the aspects of our lives that others might not relate to or understand. In the midst of this profoundly tortured hand-wringing, we received the call. Yes, the one that really mattered, a placement. Come and meet your baby tomorrow. Can you do that? What? 12 hours from now, the baby's coming home with us tomorrow. 
After a truly frenetic night of running to the local Walmart minutes before the store closed at midnight and anxiously buying way too much stuff from the baby aisle, the next day we got to meet our newborn child as well as the amazing birth mom who chose us over all other prospective families. And as we talked to her, she shared with us how much she loved my husband's background in retail cosmetics. She'd graduated from cosmetology school. How she wanted her child to travel and see the world just as I had. And while she didn't personally know Unitarian Universalism, she thought that a child growing up in the midst of a loving, supportive spiritual community would be so beautiful. She saw who we were, and she chose us. With deep intention and careful deliberation, she truly chose us. And the newborn babe arrived in our lives precisely because of our authenticity and not in spite of it. And our journey as parents had begun. It still gets me every time. I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer. Richard and I are going to lead you together. But the words of our prayer are written by Amy Jones for a Sunday such as this. Today is Father's Day. So we take this moment to hold space for all that may mean to us. We hold love for those who have lost fathers and for those fathers who have lost children. We acknowledge and hold non-binary, transgendered, and cisgendered dads in families made of two dads, foster and adoptive dads, and single dads. We hold and work to lift up all fathers of color and those fathers raising children of color. We hold fathers kept apart from their children by borders and war. We hold fathers and children who have lost connection, children who have been disowned or abandoned by their fathers, and the father figures who step in. We hold those longing to be fathers. We hold those who may be full of questions about their biological fathers. Most importantly, we hold and thank the dads, the papas, the daddies, and all who show up every day to give their all to their children who need them. Human relations are complicated. These days of recognition are complex. 
Please take a moment to breathe in what serves you and breathe out that which does not. Amen. And now our offering, which this week will go to the Equal Justice Initiative, will be given and gratefully received. There are so many of us who nurture and tend to and support our children and young lives as they grow up. Fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, neighbors. And for some of us, our chosen families are as dear as our biological ones, in some cases more dear. We find love, however, we need to find it. And in the spirit of Pride Month, there are gender non-binary folks who parent children and parent their corner of the world as well. So it's in that spirit that I will sing this traditional spiritual. It's arranged by the inimitable Margaret Bonds, who is a lifelong champion of black liberation and freedom of thought, artistically and otherwise. I will alter the pronouns to be as inclusive as possible so that the song holds the entire world in its hands. Thank <laughs> you. 
The staff took a walking tour this last Wednesday. It's a tradition that we started at the end of the first year that I was here because that year we had a significant budget shortfall. It was the confluence of a bunch of different forces, building issues, the assumption on pledges that was a bit optimistic and something else that I've completely forgotten. Anyway, it wasn't a big deal, but we couldn't end the year with a staff celebratory luncheon anywhere pricey, but we hit on this great idea. We would leave the church and we would just go for a walk to, on a kind of urban pilgrimage, you might say, and we were guided by people who'd grown up in San Francisco, and we were guided by people who were new to the city, but incredibly voracious in finding places that they loved in their new city home. We walked up to Grace Cathedral, wove down through Chinatown, and then through North Beach, and down to Fisherman's Wharf, where the minister's discretionary fund treated everyone to a lunch from the iconic In-N-Out Burgers. <laughs> I think the whole event cost less than $100, and we had a grand time. So we've continued the tradition at the end of the year, and this Wednesday, we did drive to the mission for what Laura Ludwig nicknamed our walk and taco. It was part two of a tour, the beginning of a tour that um, Matt Anderson and Luann Schulte took us on earlier in the year. We started with the murals of Balmy Alley and we ducked into uh, El Faralito Taqueria on 24th and we were gonna go to my, I had touted it so much, my favorite taco truck, El Gallo Giro, but they weren't there for the first time ever, so clearly we have to do something else later in the summer. We got Italian ices on mission as a New Yorker, that was great, some people have never had Italian ices. Went to Clarion Alley and then finished with a hot beverage at Dandelion. It was great. On our journey, though, we stopped at Prestida Eyes Muralist Center. It's a nonprofit center. Some of you probably know it on 24th Street that supports collaborative murals as a means for self-expression but also social change. And there, Jonathan and I found a postcard of a mural that we didn't see on our walk but immediately felt like we needed to share today. It's the one that's on your cover, although our covers are not color, because we're out of color at the moment, but you can see how vivid it is. The Johnson Family by Bob Gayton. All I could find out about Bob Gayton, the artist, was from a book, Walls of Heritage, Walls of Pride, cited by someone else online. Gayton, quote, was a boxer who painted the first outdoor mural in San Francisco's Fillmore District in 1972, a wall of respect-type image featuring portraits of prominent African Americans. During the late 1970s, he was employed by CETA to paint murals in Juvenile Hall in San Francisco. I don't know if the Johnson family portrayed in the art on your cover was a famous or prominent black man of San Francisco or the United States. Maybe someone can tell me more and I'll add it as a footnote um, to the service or send it out in the flame. What I do know is just what I and most people walking by take in from the image. This husband, this father, and all it invites me to think about this day. 
Nothing brings us more into relationship with ourselves, I think, than relationships. Nothing holds up a mirror like someone else's face and their responses and their requirements of us. Dating and marriage and friendship and any intimate relationships make us face how we show up when we're asked to and required to. Are we welcoming and giving, or a bit quid pro quo sometimes? Are we conditional? Are we leery? Are we distrustful? Are we needy? Are we overly solicitous? Or are we grounded and willing to engage wholeheartedly, as Brene Brown likes to say her favorite word, wholeheartedly? Are we able to both give and receive in this fluid flow between human beings? And if that is true, this bit about how relationships ask and require us to show up, parenting does that in spades. Because it asks us to show up in a relationship that is of service, of surrender almost, to be the grown-up in the room <laughs> as often as we can. And let me make clear from the onset that when I say parenting this morning, and I will use it because it's easy and shorthand, I mean all the other forms of caretaking. I mean step parenting and aunties who step in parenting and grand parenting and big brother and big sister parenting. We all parent the world. And we know when we're doing it, the parenting thing, because of what it asks for us, right? And it will always be, if it's parenting, that relationship that is, should be, asks us to be in service, in surrender, being the grown-up in the room as much as we can to some vulnerable life in formation. And that asks a lot. No one gives you a certificate that says, now you're a certifiable, qualified grown-up. Instead, you go from being someone's kid in the world to a somewhat liberated person finding their way, full of imposter syndrome among the grown-ups. And then someday, imposter or not, the world requires of you to be on the other side of the equation. It anoints you. And it anoints us in any number of ways with responsibilities that are compelling, with the need to pay bills or show up to work or the full legal consequences of our actions. And it anoints us when a child shows up. It anoints us when we have that obligation, that ask, to make that a priority in our lives. And we're here this morning, Father's Day, to bear witness to this piece of life. No matter what, as we named earlier in the service, everyone in this room has been on the receiving end of the shaping that fathering does in its presence, in the wild array of ways that fathers and those who fathered us showed up in our lives, and shaped too if what we had was more absence than presence. Either way, folks, we learned something about that piece of life, didn't we? 
about how it affects and alters the course of a life, of a growing self. And depending on what we received, I bet we each resolved different things about our way forward in conversation with that experience. And it's interesting and worth mentioning too as we move forward in this world that is challenging and rethinking traditional notions of how we are all allowed to show up in the world authentically and in particular dismantling some unnecessarily gendered ways of thinking and scaffolding to also be talking about Father's Day. I'm not sure that I have done all my work in this regard, and I am pretty clear that there are people in this room whose life experience, as well as deeply searching minds and hearts and spirits, have done more work and have more wisdom in this area than I do, and I look forward to learning from you but I am certainly aware that 10 years ago and 50 years ago for sure, we would have talked about the requirements of fatherhood in different ways than we probably will right now. Which is funny, because actually, it has never been the case that women identified and male identified folks have given only in particular ways to the children and young lives in their lives. Single parents famously will name to you the ways in which they had to give the whole or what the child needed or as close as they could come to it. And parents, I think, have always given what they had to give as much of what their children needed as they could. And we've all needed whatever lessons that they could give, right? Each of us has needed to learn from someone, anyone who could teach us how to be strong, how to be tough, how to be that way when we needed to endure, and how to be tender, and how to be yielding, and how to be vulnerable enough to risk trusting connections. We have needed someone who would sometimes, somewhere, hold us up to high expectations, letting us know that they thought that we could rise to them, and people who would stoke our curiosity, the range of it, and who would invite us into playfulness in the world and indulge us and delight in us. You should have seen the faces when we were getting Italian ices, I have to say. And I was like, get whatever you want, get ice cream on it, whatever you want. People trying flavors like, you want to see the face of people delighted to be indulged the way we just don't get to be indulged anymore. We all need all of these gifts that people once showed us how to delight in in ourselves. We've needed to know, of course, how to cook a meal and how to build a career and how to fix a flat tire and how to sew on a button and how to manage our money and how to be held accountable and how to step back up to the plate literally or figuratively after a strike or a pink slip or heartbreak. All those things that would help us to survive and thrive in the world day to day. 
whatever life would throw us as much as they could prepare us for. And it didn't really matter who passed the lessons along, right? We just needed to get them, and fathers, those who fathered us in this life, taught us some or all of those things, what they knew of them. But when I reflect on what we all need to be fully human and equipped for life, besides people passing on these specific lessons or examples, there's this other piece of late that I keep coming back to that I don't think I would have named earlier in my life. And it's actually there in Gayton's mural, which is why it's on the cover of your order of service. At least it's there for me. And I know it's coming at the end of the sermon, but it's not just a footnote. It's actually <laughs> what I hoped to get to. There is this lesson in life that if we get it by osmosis, by example, maybe by explicit teachings too, that's more than golden, I think. I think it's platinum. It's about the gift of someone, not someone who's perfect, but someone who gave what they knew shared what they had, what they gleaned as best they knew it or could see it. As many of the lessons as they thought we might need, that they could offer up, and who passed along their passions, their love of physics or horse racing or red beans and rice or the designs of the stars and the heavens. Someone who loved us as best they could, and someone who could apologize when they were not as loving as they might have been, an apology I hope we all are really good at giving. And in the whole of who they were to us, someone who modeled a kind of comfort in the who of who they were. Not that they weren't in growth mode, that they gave up on reflection or deepening. I hope, God, I hope that all of us keep doing that even until we're stepping into the grave, that we're in that work, that generative work of deepening and growth. Mia Birdsong in her book, How We Show Up, says, that the vision of life that brings us closer is one that, quote, allows us to be vulnerable and imperfect, to grieve and stumble, to be held accountable and deeply loved. All of that is part of it. This need we have, I think, for people who show up in life, in its wisdom and ignorance, in its success and shortcomings, grounded in the whole of who they are and what they made of life, trusting in the whole of it. Reminds me a little bit of the body prayer we do sometimes, how at the end we gather up the blessings of the day and we press them into us, and then that last gesture where we offer us in this vulnerable posture as we are to the world, just as we are, whatever we have to give. 
at gathering up each day on the journey and saying, hey, this is what I've got. This is the best that I've got, and it's yours. I'm yours. Like Manisha's story, right? He knows high-end cosmetics and wants to be an artist, and I'm a former diplomat, Unitarian Universalist minister, and we want to be part of a beautiful life, and this is what it looks like. This is who we are, and we're yours. Like the dad in the mural, he's that for me. Look at him, he's there, he's got his comfy white t-shirt. I imagine it's a Saturday afternoon, one arm around the person who I think is his partner, and look at it, she's kind of disinterested and distracted, and I don't know, maybe she's in a bad mood, it's hard to tell, and their kid is shy, a bit leery, and they're holding him close, maybe until he grows more comfortable and safe in the world, which I hope he will. And the dad, he's so relaxed. He's so happy. Like all the dynamics of his life, his, theirs, this is as good as it gets, as my husband likes to say. This is as good as it gets, and it's good. And he's going to love life, this life, for all the gorgeousness and texture of it as it is. That gift of contentment, of grounding contentment, of authentic presence to what is and who is for you in them, I think it's actually one of the most subtle, gorgeous gifts that we can give in this venture of parenting, wherever we're allowed to do it. It says without saying, no matter what, this is good, and you, you kid, you're part of it, so settle in and ride it out and do your best and offer what you have. Each of us is stamped by genetics and environment. We are shaped by choice and accident to be a certain kind of person. And we're going to have our limits, and we have our possibilities, and we have our gifts, and we have our struggles, ones that are ours to wrestle all of it into something that feels meaningful for us. And we can model all of that, right? Because we can only love the world always and forever from this place, from the one we occupy right now and right now and right now. Love it as best as we can from here. And isn't that enough? What else has a parenting presence in the universe ever been able to do but this? What else can you and I do to love the world but this, but love the world from where we are and teach our young to do the same. So may Mr. Johnson, in his white t-shirt and slacks, family, whoever they are, held in close this perfect vision for me of a contented, deeply contented person loving the hell out of the world be our icon on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thanks to everyone here who loves the hell out of the world by being authentically themselves in service, generously holding your arms open, vulnerable, to offer who you are and what you have, to bless the world from where you are. May we do so. Amen.
And let's close with a hymn that used to be sung all the time in Unitarian Universalism. It's less sung this uh, lately, but it's 311, and it speaks to this sort of creative interdependence and delight of life in the metaphor of a dance. So I invite you to rise in body and spirit as you're able as we sing. standing but put down your hymnals and if you feel comfortable join hands with the person next to you and now in our comings and our goings may the light of love shine upon us out from within us 
be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.